Okay, so last week we finished Samson, uh, and I know that for some of you, I absolutely ruined Samson for you, and I apologize for that, but that's God's word, so uh, take it up with God. But uh, the end of Samson, in a lot of ways, for those of us that have read the book of Judges, it feels like the end, doesn't it? Uh, I, I think for most of us, we didn't even know there was anything beyond Samson, uh, because it just kind of goes into this space, these these last few chapters where we're like, what is it doing? What is it talking about? And how does that connect with Samson and what's with what's just happened? Especially since he's the last judge and his death appears to be the last chronological event in the book. So, so we get to these last chapters and, and, and we're going to look at 17, 18, and then we're going to finish next Week, but the thing that we need to understand is that these last chapters are different than the earlier narrative structure uh, that we see that we have seen in the earlier chapters. See, the earlier passages that we've gone through, uh, they've given us this this almost thousand foot view. Uh, it's like an airplane view. If you've ever flown in an airplane and you're and you're going over a city and and you're kind of you're you're starting to descend and. And you can see you can see everything, and and you can even see landmarks, but you don't really know what's going on. Like you don't really know what those people are dealing with, and that. And and so when it comes to those uh, first sixteen chapters in uh, the book of Judges, it it, it kind of gives us that 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 large perspective, essentially just saying that the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we know they weren't walking with God, but we get that high level view. These last chapters in, uh, in Judges, they give us a detailed view of what was going on on the ground. At a ground level, what was life like in Israel during those times? And so, this, and so these events, this is not listed in chronological order. It's not right after Samson. These have already happened, but the writer wants us to know what was taking place. Okay, and, and so let's start off in chapter 17, and we'll start with verses 1 through 6. This is what it says. It says, There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me, I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons to be, who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, so we were waiting for uh, it to get less weird, less complicated. And then you read that and you go, oh, we're going to keep that train, Right. And so we're introduced to a guy named Micah, uh, a man who's from the hill country of Ephraim, uh, it says. And uh, what has happened here is he has stolen 1,100 shekels of silver from his mother. So he's stolen that from his mother. He saw the money his mother had. He wanted it. And so he stole it from her. 
But then his mother utters this curse that whoever has stolen this money, that they would be cursed. And he actually hears her uttering this curse. And so, not in response to God convicting him or saying, don't steal, clear commandment, but in response to his mother uttering a curse on whoever stole it, he goes to his mother and says, mother, you know that curse you uttered on the person that stole that? Well, I stole it. If you could just take that curse back. And, and his mother, in a way that I, I honestly, I can't understand, she's, she's like, praise God, right? Like her response is essentially, praise the Lord. And then she, she prays a special blessing on him. Listen, I am not an expert in disciplining your kids, but she failed, clearly. There's a lot of reasons why Mike is the way he is, and I think we see it right there. Uh, the fact uh, that, that literally, I mean, no like way to go, oh, is this genuine? And what has God done in your heart? She just goes, oh, my son, I pray a special blessing on you. And, and so then she says, I'm going to dedicate this silver to the Lord that was returned to me. And then once again, we're confronted with confliction, right? Because she dedicates the silver to the Lord as an act of worship. And then she gives 200 shekels to a silversmith to make images with, to make idols. Completely disregarding the second commandment. Okay, the second commandment, the Ten Commandments, right? In Exodus 24 and 5, very clear. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, so it's very clear uh, that this is against the will of God and yet it's being done in the name of God. And so Micah then, he, he has these idols made and then what does he do? He puts them in his shrine. So he has this shrine at his house. His mother lives with him and, and, and essentially this, this shrine is like his personal God collection. And I read this, I go, man, have you ever seen a family more spiritually and morally confused? I mean, they managed to break most of the Ten Commandments without leaving home. Like, that, I mean, I don't care where you're at. That's pretty impressive, right? Um, and, and, and still, they thought they were serving the Lord. The son doesn't honor his mother. He steals from her. Then he lies about it. He coveted that silver. You know, this is a theme that we're going to see today is this covetousness that, 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 that we see that is in us as well. Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, he says. This covetousness is idolatry. And so he's desiring this 
And then ultimately the mother has idols made and encourages her son to maintain this private shrine. And, and here's the thing about what's going on here um, is Deuteronomy 12, five and six, it tells us that there was to be only one central sanctuary of worship in Israel. Okay, and in fact, we can look at it. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse five, it says, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And so God has never said, hey, build your little shrine in your house, wherever you want, worship me however you'd like. No, he said, I I've defined how you're going to worship me. And it's going to be in the central spot. You are not to create these shrines in your home of, of, of worship. And, and so what we're seeing here is Israel's religion had become one of personal preference. And Micah not only had his private shrine of his gods, but he was like, oh, what is it missing? A priest. Son, come here. He makes his son his priest. Continuing the bad parenting trend, right? Son, you're going to be a priest. Now, Scripture tells us uh, that only those from the line of Aaron were allowed to be priests. It wasn't just like anybody can be a priest. I want to be a priest. I'm going to go be a priest. Like, no, they had to come from uh, the line of Aaron. So God says, worship me as I am not as you want me to be. See, Micah's family shapes a God who's convenient for them to worship. They follow the laws they like and they ignore the laws they don't. And this is religion on Israel's terms. It's a religion that isn't about God and his truth, but about my preferences. It's a religion which, which seeks to essentially remake God into an image, image that, that I'm comfortable with or one that just fits my cultural preferences. Have, have you ever heard someone say, I don't believe in a God like that? Or I like to think of God as... And, and what, what we're doing when we say those things is... It means that just like Micah's family, we are reshaping God to fit our society, uh, to fit uh, our hearts, instead of letting God reshape our hearts and reshape our society. Do you see that? And, and, and so because Micah and his family, they don't submit uh, to the authority of God's word. Their home uh, now is, is this place of religious and moral confusion. Here's the thing. When you look at what's going on in their home, what was going on in their home and the confusion in their home was very similar to many homes today. Many homes today. And so often we kind of think we're let off the hook here because we're not like building these little idols. 
right? Like most of us don't have like a God's room at our house and people come over and they're like, hey, what's in there? It's my God's room. It's where we worship. Most of you don't have that, right? Like, and so we feel like we're kind of off the hook here. And so when we look at these people in the Old Testament, we're like, well, ah, we've moved on. We're different. Culture's different. Society's different. You guys, we're, we're having the same issues, the same struggles uh, that, that they did. Like many homes today are filled with lots of worship outside of only worshiping God. Many homes uh, have prioritized, because remember, the danger that was happening here is uh, it wasn't like they were saying, oh, God, we don't want anything to do with you, or, or we're going to stop worshiping you. We're going to stop going through these spiritual rhythms. No, what they were actually doing is they were pulling God down to where he was at the same level or below the other idols they were worshiping as well. And that's the danger. That's the trap. And that's the same thing that's happening in our homes, isn't it? It, it, It's not so much that we're saying, I don't want to worship God. I want to worship this. But what we're doing is uh, we're we're deprioritizing our worship of him, which is to be exclusive. And we're bringing him down to a level that reflects now that he is at, at, on par with these other things that are in my life, right? And, and guys, this plays out in my view of, of maybe money. Uh, it, it plays into my view of performance, uh, of, of job, of, of relationship status. It plays into, as a parent, uh, the, the life that our kids should have or that we desire for them to have, the successes that they have. And so uh, what happens? happens is we don't deny God. We just bring him down to a level where now the worship in our home is honestly confusing because what we're choosing to celebrate and acknowledge the most is not God anymore. Right? It's my, it's my kids' musical performance. It's their achievement academically. It's how they do sports. It's, it's all these things, right? Like that can penetrate into my, into my heart, into my life. It's my relationship status. It's, it's, it's this job. It's this paycheck. And, and, and you guys, I don't say, Oh God, I don't want you. I don't like you. No, like, no, I still go to church. I do all these things. But my ultimate obedience to him and him alone and the priorities that he's established for my life, I've just lowered the bar. So it fits the rhythm I want. It fits the lifestyle I want to have. It works for me. It works for my family. It works for my home. And ultimately, we have all of these images that we're much more inclined to worship. And they appear on our TV all the time. They're, 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 they're easily seen as we scroll. They're on our YouTube. They're everywhere, aren't they? Guys, that's the nature of covetousness. To covet is to want something else, right? It's to want something else. It's to want something that someone else has. And scripture says that's idolatry because we want that and we place it ultimately above and before our relationship and our worship of God. And, and, and so when you think of covetousness and, and, and I mean, you want to talk about our society, where in the world do you guys think comparison comes from? You want to talk about just an issue that we all deal with, right? It's comparison. Where does that come from? Ultimately, it comes from a heart that is coveting. That's wanting what's not mine. And and we keep going in verse uh, 7, and it says, Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, 
of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in and the Levite was content to dwell with the man and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Okay, so we're introduced to this young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. Um, and he's left his hometown in search of somewhere else to stay, somewhere else where he can ultimately get paid. Okay, now the Levites, this, this tribe, the, the Levites were set aside by God for the specific uh, role of serving and implementing the, 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 the priests. Uh, and, and the tabernacle. So they would uh, serve the priests. Uh, they would guard the priests. Uh, they would have all of these duties uh, from, from helping to teach the law to being involved in the music and the praises of Israel. And, and when they divided up the tribes, they actually gave 48 cities uh, and pastures to these Levites. And they were to go to those places, stay in there, and they were to minister there in those settings. Part of their pay came from um, the, the tithing that went to the temple. And so that was part of how they earned a living. But what we know about what was going on in the book of Judges, people stopped tithing. Uh, and, and, and so they're like trying to figure out, how do I make it? How do I get by? And so this Levite priest, or this Levite, ultimately decides, I am going to go and search out a different area, a different location where... I can get paid, essentially. And so, as he's traveling, he meets Micah. Now, when Micah meets him, Micah sees an opportunity. He's like, man, I've got an incredible shrine. But man, that's a Levite. That's what I'm missing. So he offers him salary, room and board, clothing, and the Levite agrees to stay with him, acting as his personal priest. And, 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 and Micah plays his hand, right? He, he tells us what his motivation was. In, in, in verse 13, right? It, it, it says what? It says, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. Okay, so, so, so Micah lets us know wh why he's going through all of this religious effort to create uh, this worship experience here, uh, he is driven by getting God to bless him, by getting God to ultimately give him what he wants. I, I, you know, I think what's challenging about that is it, it causes all of us to question our motives, right? It even causes us to question our motives for our prayer life, for our Bible reading, uh, our motives for even being here, our, our motives in worship, Am, am I doing that because I think that God's going to love me more? Right? And, and so uh, the, the goal of, of true faith is to give your heart to God 
so that he can get you to do what he wants. See, what, what religion does, and many of us have been hammered by religion and, and, and this, this warped uh, reality of what it is to follow Jesus, but what religion is designed to do is to get God to ultimately serve you. The gospel, what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for me, that moves us and moves our heart into asking, how can I serve you? Man-made religion, it always reduces God to someone that we want to control rather than seeing God as the one who's in control and as the only one who's worthy of my worship. And so, and so that's a great test when we think about, man, is this about a religion or is it about a relationship with God? You think about uh, what moves people, even at this church, like I, I think of uh, how, how many people have experienced the gospel here. They, they've met their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, just by being here and, and they've responded to that. They've declared, I, I, I need you, God. I'm broken, I'm lost in my sinful condition and I believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for those sins. And, and, and not only did he pay the penalty of my sins, but he resurrected, having victory over sin and death so that I can receive him and have victory uh, over that sin in my life and, 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 and literally have a, a, a new transformed life for all of eternity. And, and when that's happened in many of your lives, you didn't wake up and go, okay, God, now what are you gonna do for me? Or how can I get you to keep blessing me? No, you were so humbled. You said, God, what do you want? what can I do for you? It's opposite. And then in chapter 18, verse one, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtael, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go in is under the eye of the Lord. Okay, so it kicks off with, in those days, there was no king. Was there a king though? Oh, come on, come on. 1030, you're rested up, let's go. <laughs> Yes, God is the king, right? God is the king. And, and, and his will, his words, his law, that, that is the law, right? That should have been happening. But because uh, he was not their king, what do we read? Everyone did, every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so the society was filled with confusion. And, and, and so this, this tribe that we're reading about here, this tribe of Dan, which was Samson's tribe, if you can remember, uh, they were already given a, a, a tribal territory. They were given uh, land that was assigned to them when all of the land was divided up among the tribes. With Joshua, the elders, and the high priest, they divided it out already. But the thing about the tribe of Dan that's interesting 
is if you remember in Judges 134, which many of you probably don't, so I'll read it. It said, the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The tribe of Dan, unlike many of the other tribes, and we've looked at how they were to drive out the people who were against God. And the tribe of Dan did not trust and rely on the Lord. And so when they go to drive out, they're actually the ones that are pushed out as a tribe. And so they're pushed out. Um, and, and, and so there's already this distrust uh, when it comes to God. There's already uh, this, um, this, this faithlessness that's, that's evident in this people group. And so they are already out of there and, and not in the land that they should be. Um, but they want land for themselves. And so what, what they do is ultimately they reject God's assigned territory for them and they covet another place or someone else's. See, we want what they have. We want their land. We want their situation. Even if it's in opposition to the will of God. God had placed each tribe exactly where he wanted them. And yet that wasn't good enough or wasn't enough or it's just too challenging to, to be where he's called me to be. I just, I know, no God. But their life, their situation, that, that's what we want. That's what we deserve. And you guys, isn't that the very trouble that we find ourselves in in our society today? Instead of, of submitting to the will of God, going, man, God, you have me here for a time, for, for a reason, for a purpose. Uh, there, there's something going on here, God, that's even beyond my understanding. It's challenging uh, and, and it's tough, but God, I, I surrender to your will. I know that you've called me here. I know that you've placed me here for such a time uh, as this. But what happens in our lives is we see what someone else has. We see someone else's situation. We, we want with somebody uh, what they have. And what we'll do is become so consumed with that that we'll do almost anything to get it. And we're warned about this. In James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You ever felt that way? Your passions are literally at war within you. It says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. In other words, you want this. You want what they have. You want this situation. You want this relationship. You want it, but you can't have it, so you fight and quarrel. Ooh, it's bringing it home. Now this is uncomfortable. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. But why? It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Man. So we see that this process that starts so innocently of acknowledging someone else being blessed or a situation or that starts to take root in my heart. So I compare that situation to mine I start to covet their situation. They have their achievements. 
slowly, it takes and it hijacks my heart to where I can't even see and appreciate what God has done and is doing in my life right now. To where I can't even sit in a service like this without thinking about that. I can't worship him purely. I can't go home and appreciate my family, my situation. I can't appreciate my my job because I am consumed with this. And we see that it, it, it takes control of your prayer request, huh? Now, all of my prayer requests, all my thoughts, when I go to the Lord, it's this, it's this. God, I want this. God, I need this. God, I need you to do that, which does what? Then it hijacks my religion, my, my, it t- or it takes my gospel faith and turns it into a religion. And then it becomes, how do I get you, God, to agree with me so that you'll give me this? So these five spies, they're, they're sent out by the tribe of Dan and, and, and they end up finding Micah's house, right? Randomly. And they go to Micah's house and as they're staying with Micah, they hear this Levite talk and they're like, you're not from here. You are not one of the, the men from Ephraim. Where in the world are you from? Like, where are you from? And what's your story? So he tells them, he says, hey, I am, uh, you know, I am here uh, <laughs> as a private priest. For Micah, he hired me to do this job. And so the spies go, oh, great. Hey, can we get some spiritual counsel from you? Like already he's disqualified, right? They're like, oh, that's your story? Oh, great. Can you go to the Lord for us? Like, hey, so what do you think the Lord, is the Lord gonna honor our mission to wipe out this people group? You know, like, is the Lord going to honor that? You know, I mean, it's just crazy, right? And, <laughs> and this man of God says, yes. <laughs> yes. God is with you. God sees you. Oh, God sees them. <laughs> and, and, and he endorses it in the name of God. It's not a, it's not a priest. He's a hireling. He's hired, and, and, and you guys, there's a lot of people parading around being the spokespeople of God, and they're saying things like this and affirming things that have nothing to do with God. This is happening all the time. And so they, so they get the answer they wanted, so they go back, to their, go back to the tribe of Dan, and they share the news, and it says, in verse 7, it says, now there was a young man of, or, or says, no, in chapter 18, verse 7, uh, it says, then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zor and Eshtael, their brothers said to them, what do you report? They said, arise and let us go up against them for we have seen the land and beheld it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious for God has given it into your hands, a place where there's no lack of anything that is in the earth. And so they go back, they report and they, and they, and they say, hey, God is in favor of this. He's blessed us. And guess what? There is this incredible uh, community uh, here uh, named Laish and, and these people are peaceful. Uh, 
They have no treaties with anybody. They're unsuspecting. They're secure. They're prosperous. They have a ton of money. They're wealthy. They're isolated. They are the perfect target. And so in verses 11 through 26, what happens is they gather their army of 600 men and they go and they head out towards Laish to destroy it. And on their way there, the five spies say, hey, hold up. There's this guy named Micah. His home's right over there. And he's got this really awesome God room. This really cool shrine with these gods. He's even got his own priest. And so they, they stop there. They guard the gates to the entrance to his house. And the five spies go in and they hijack all of his gods. They take them because they'll be useful for them. So they take them. And then uh, the, the Levite, the acting priest, is shocked and mortified by what they do. And so they said, hey, here's the deal. We're willing to offer you this position with us. And it says it made his heart happy. And so he accepts the position. Right? What's he motivated by? And so they're like, hey, you can, you can have even more influence. You can do even more for God uh, as our priest. What a position to have. And he's like, all right, I'm joining you guys. Let's go. And he literally sells out that Quickly, And so after they've been gone some distance, Micah comes home, figures out all of his gods are gone, including uh, his priest. And so he takes himself, his men, his neighbors, rallies them together, and they go to attack the tribe of Dan. But when they approach the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Dan turns around and says, what are you doing? Look at how large we are. Look at uh, our army. You are going to be destroyed. What are you doing? Why are you, uh, why would you even think that you could come at us? And in verse 24, it reveals something really important to us. It's actually Micah's response to them. He says, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away. And then he says this, and what have I left? What have I left? Guys, this is religion without the true God. See, everything Micah had that he worshiped could be taken away from him. He built up this, this, this religious life. He even used the name of the Lord in it. He had a shrine. He even had himself a Levite priest and, 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 and had looked to all of that as his source of blessing, but, but then now all of what he trusted in is gone. It's gone. And I think what we have to ask is, what's the thing that if it was taken away from us, we'd say, what else do I have? Where can I go in life now? I have nothing left. You guys, there, there's only one God who will never be taken away from us. When we find Jesus, and when you truly understand who Jesus is, <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, you respond with, you are my everything. You're it. Without you, what else do I have? 
That, that, that's the response to Jesus. When you respond to Jesus and you believe in Jesus, there is no need to look or to go elsewhere in life. In, in, in fact, um, we, we realize, just as the apostles, he is all that we eternally need in this life. In fact, in John 6, 68, I love how Peter answered the Lord. He says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. We can't place our hope in that. We can't follow this person or this uh, wise individual. God, you and you alone have the words of eternal life. If we know this, uh, you guys, it, it changes everything, right? It, it, it repositions everything else in our life so that we can never make a statement like that going, it, whatever uh, I, I lose, whatever happens, whatever loss, uh, whatever pain, whatever sorrow I may go to in this, go through in this life. And some of you have gone through a lot of it. You can still go, Jesus, you're all I have. And Jesus, you're all I need. People caught up in idolatry, they worship a God they can carry. A Christian worships a God who carries them. And in verses 27 through 31, as it closes, it says, but the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priests who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribes of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the Lord. So they set up Micah's carved image image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. So with 600 men, they go and they absolutely level, flatten, and burn this city, killing everyone that's there in Laish. Then they rebuild on top of it their own city, and they call it Dan, the name of the founder of their tribe. And what we see here, you guys, which is kind of fascinating, is they're fulfilling prophecies from hundreds of years earlier. In fact, in Genesis 49, uh, 17, Jacob had prophesied and he said, Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. Isn't that crazy? And, and, and then also what's really interesting towards the end here is we're finally told who the name is of this Levite. It finally reveals his identity, doesn't it? It says, Jonathan the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. Ooh. And so he and his sons, right? They've, they've got a monopoly on the priest business in Dan now. They've got, a, they've got a, a legacy to pass on now. And they're gonna continue to say the name of the Lord and yet contradict what the true Lord is asking them to do. This Levite who will compromise on everything except his own interests is a descendant of Moses. 
And you guys, what this tells us uh, is you don't get grandfathered into a relationship with Jesus. Some of us are riding on the coattails of our parents, our grandparents. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, my mom is, and, and, and you know, so, and, and my, my grandparents love the Lord. And so I'm just kind of riding that wave. I come from a very spiritual family. You guys, ultimately it doesn't matter. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be up to your individual decision of what you're going to do with Jesus. Okay, because we see right here that, man, he is far from Moses. Far from what Moses had said. And so every person has to find God personally. And so Jonathan and his sons will go on ministering idolatrously while worshiping the Lord, but not in truth. And what we know is years later, when the kingdom is divided, Jeroboam will actually set up golden calves in Dan and Beersheba and encourage the whole nation to turn away from the true and living God. And, and, you know, verse 31 is so interesting because it it tells us, it it, it says, so they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. You guys, uh, what it's telling us here is, is what Dan, Micah, uh, the Levite, what all of them should have done. You guys, God had made a way for his people to approach him, to worship him, and to know him. He had in Shiloh, like he's got a place. You want to seek the Lord. You want to seek his direction. You want to seek his will for your life. It is there. He's available. And that very tabernacle, that was the place of God's presence. That should have been the focal point for Micah, right? And the decisions that he was making. That should have been the focal point for for the Levite. That should have been where the tribe of Dan should have gone to go, wait, what is God asking of us? Is, is he saying just, oh, disregard everything I already told you to do uh, for the sake of, of destroying another city and going into another territory that he never told us to, to occupy? No, they just never went. They never pursued the presence of God. And yet so often for us, you guys, we're looking for signs. We're looking for people, spiritual leaders to affirm what we want to do to get us out of obedience to God. And you'll find them. You'll find them, you guys. And, and, and what's so beautiful for us, you guys, living in this day and age, is we're the result of what? What John 1.14 says, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus tabernacled with his people. And then not only that, but Jesus then says, it's better so I can go. Why? The Holy Spirit is going to come and live inside of you. So that now, every moment, every day, every breath that I take, I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me, guiding, directing, convicting me, and giving me access to the Father all the time. And so if you're a Jesus follower, you have that. You are a temple of the living God. And so what that means is when I'm confused, it's not because God's confused. When I feel distant and disconnected from him, it's not because he's distant and connected from me. It means ultimately I am choosing a different route. And I think what it points to a lot of times for me is although I may not be physically building my own little idol, I'm actually taking God. I'm saying, I like this, I like that. Nah, not that. Not right now, not this season. And I'm actually building the very thing Micah was building in his home. 
idols that work for me, that are convenient for me, a relationship with God that works for me. And that's our culture. So I guess we got to ask this question as we close. How does my belief and practice align with what the Bible teaches? How does my belief and practice align with what the Bible teaches? Uh, Am I acknowledging him as Lord, but not honoring him as Lord? Have I, have, I, have I done what I was just talking about where, where I've kind of designed and I've tweaked him around to work for me, for my cultural preferences, for my heart's preference? Have I kind of done that with the Lord? And ultimately, when I look at what I'm doing in regards to scripture, uh, it doesn't align. Uh, and, and, and so uh, have, I, have I conveniently uh, excused away clear rhythms that he's called me to, to live with, uh, clear lines where he said, obey this. And I've gone, ah, that's okay. I can lower you a little bit to fit my schedule, my needs. Has that happened? Um, are, are you consumed with desiring what you don't have? Are you able to appreciate what's right in front of you? Or has this covetousness, has it hijacked your heart to where you would be just like Micah, where if this was taken or that was taken, you'd say, I have nothing else. There's nothing. I think those are the things we have to wrestle with, you guys. And it brings us, once again, to the forefront and it asks us, what, what are we going to worship first? I was, I was driving yesterday and I was, I was driving. It was like 3.30. It was coming up the five freeway. And, uh, and I passed a car that was very clear was going to the Oregon Ducks football game. I mean, it was very clear. Um, I mean, all kinds of illegal things built on top of it to, you know, it may have been one of you and we have the altar after, but, uh, you know, all kinds of things added to this car to make it the organ, the official organ duck, like vehicle, probably somewhere. And, uh, and it was driving past and, and me and the boys were, were talking about it. And we're like, look at this, look at that car, you guys. Look at how decked out that is. And they're in there, whoever's in the car, like I said, it may have been you. And they were just, they were just, they were ready to go. I'm like, eh, it's Hawaii. But anyway, uh, they, were, they were just like, let's go. You know, we're on our way. Let's make it happen. And, and I was just thinking, because, you know, I was processing, you know, what I'm preaching on. And I just started, ha- I had this moment in the car. And, and I was just thinking like, What do I get excited about like them? And then I took it down a few, mother, a few other layers and, and I go, what, what do my kids see excites me more than anything? What do I celebrate in my home more than anything? What is that thing that all my other decisions are surrendered unto. And what I went through was honestly just a very convicting moment with the Lord from one of your crazy cars. Because it confronted me. It really did. Reminding me how I never say, oh God, I don't want you or God, I'm gonna deprioritize you. No, I don't do that. What I slowly do is I put him down at a level playing field or I just put him slightly below some other things. And I think that, guys, ultimately, it reveals what I want him to be for me. 
And yet that's the very thing I needed saved from. And so you guys, let's just go to the Lord right now. Let's respond to him. If you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, make a decision today to receive him. Guys, if there's a reshuffling of the deck that has to happen in your priorities and your worship, let's get that right. But whatever he's leading you into, he is so worth it. And only he has eternal life. Only he has the blessing that your heart and your life is crying out for. Amen? Let's pray.